Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is it, the Alt in Our Stars podcast. My name is Chris Payne. I'm your host. This is a weekly podcast that we have on Billboard.com where I talk to someone in the world of alternative music who I think will make for interesting discussion. A lot of times it's someone who has a new album coming out very soon, and that's the case this week. The name of the artist is Car Seat Headrest. Car Seat Headrest is basically the songwriter Will Toledo, who I spoke to for a while recently at the Billboard office about the new Car Seat Headrest album. It's called Teens of Denial. It's fantastic. comes out a week from today digitally on Matador Records. You should check it out. There's some songs already out there from the album that you can listen to online, some singles, some you'll hear in this podcast. Uh, it's interesting for Will because he's an artist who put out a ton of albums on Bandcamp before this, before Matador signs him and actually put him in a situation where he worked with an outside producer, worked with a band, and actually went through all the things that come with putting out an album with a release date through a label, not just going straight to Bandcamp when it was done. So he's been doing it for a while, but the album thing, but at the same time, a pretty new thing for Will, and we talk about that a lot on this album. There's uh, one issue that came to light recently about how a sample from the rock band The Cars, uh, not, not a sample, uh, um, an interpretation, you might say, of their song, Just What I Needed, uh, that they thought they had cleared, they thought they had all their I's dotted, T's crossed, they thought it was all ready to go, but at the last second they found out the sample wasn't actually completely cleared, so they had to recall all the physical copies of the album, so the vinyl is being delayed, but the album is still coming out at the same release date online, so we didn't know that when we had this discussion, but we still actually talked a lot about the sample or I keep saying sample, the, the uh, we could say, uh, interpretation of that Cars song. So we talked a lot about the legality of these things because it's actually not the only such song he did something similar with that with. Um, yeah, so as you might be putting together, it's a very intricate, interesting, deep process with Will, and I picked his brain about all sorts of things that go into the writing process for him. So I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I had doing it. Um, like I said, we do this podcast, Alt in Our Stars, every Friday, every week on Billboard.com. Uh, it's been up and running for about a year and a half now, so tons of old episodes to dig into and listen. You can find those a couple of ways. 
probably the easiest is just to go into iTunes and search for the Alton R Stars. Artists we've had on the podcast recently include uh, Courtney Barnett, Chairlift, Yay Sayer, Big Ups, plenty of stuff in there to dig into. You can also just go to the podcast app on your phone, search for the Alton R Stars, or if you're viewing this podcast on billboard.com, if you're in the story, just go to the bottom paragraph of the story, and there's a link there where you can listen to old episodes and subscribe, so you get the Alton Your Stars automatically every single Friday. And finally, you might hear this a lot if you listen to many podcasts, but star rating helps a lot, good or bad. Give us that. It is super, super beneficial with everything we do here with the podcast. So that's all I have to say. I'm going to leave it up to my conversation with Car Seat Headrest. Boom. Here it is. Yes, so car seat headrest, CSH, on the Alton R Stars podcast. What's up? Not much. Uh, Nice abbreviation there. I feel like the band name lends itself really well to an abbreviation. It does, yeah. it's, it's, It's almost got the Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young thing going for it. You know, that's probably why I thought of it that way subconsciously mm-hmm. yeah i mean crusty headdress is a lot to say sometimes you gotta cut mm-hmm. to the chase yeah i abbreviate probably 50 percent of the time it, it it makes you known as an established artist when you are you know when you can abbreviate the name and everyone knows what you're talking about mm-hmm. kind of like spray painted on the guitar cases on the gear right see so yeah, csh only I always want to say CHS, though. Be like, oh, that's my high school. Yeah, that'd be a high school. Yeah, (laughs) rock and roll high school. Yeah, shout out to Colonia High School. I was LCHS. Oh, that's LCHS. Yes, that's probably why I want to say CHS. Leesburg Loudoun County. County. Okay, it's close. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I think car seat headrests in general. I was thinking about this the other day. Band names, I think, or just maybe really any kind of names that have like that one syllable, one syllable, two syllable pattern just kind of roll off the tongue. Yeah. Uh, wait, name some. Uh, I know what you're talking about, but I can't think of any at the moment. Um, Newfound Glory is the first one that pops okay. into my head. Bam, 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 bam. Yeah. Um, I remember. It. Having a Yola Tango. Yola Tango. Very, Matador, shout go. out Matador. Right. We got the Matador in there. Bam. Guided by voices doesn't quite work. New pornographers, if you split augrophers yeah. <laughs> a third word. Uh, I remember in high school having overhearing a conversation between bandmates that three syllables or three word band names were the best. Um, but. What were the examples they gave? I remember all I remember is that then they were trying to argue that it was the Foo Fighters, okay, <laughs> in order to yeah. to confirm the rule. And I don't think that that really worked that way. But uh, it must have uh, I must have absorbed that uh, ethos because both of my projects so far have been three word names. Um, before Car Seat Headrest, it was Nervous Young Men. So I've always kept up with that. Yeah, I feel like, you know, there's, like, the one-word band title, then the the-something, 
that gets a lot of attention. A lot of takes either way, good or bad. Is it cool? Is it lame? <laughs> but three, three words. It's impeachable. You can't, you can't fight it. So yeah, CSH, first, first album recorded of new material for Matador. Accurate. That's what's up. Teens of Denial is out on May 20th, and uh, it is new material. Um, well, new to people who aren't me. I recorded it, or I wrote it, starting in 2013. So it's pretty familiar territory for me, but uh, no one else has heard this yet, except for the hundreds of people who have the album now. But the general public has not heard it yet. Yeah, I saw you talking on Twitter. It seems like there was some sort of uh, little... Beef? Yeah, we call it a beef about people who have heard it. Yeah, maybe it was like people being jealous of those who have heard it so far. Yeah, it was, it was a strange situation that I'm not used to at all. Just, uh, I mean, this is the first album that has really... People are paying attention to it before the album comes out. You know, I'm used to releasing an album pretty much in obscurity and having people latch onto it slowly. Um, but, you know, this was the first time where the issue of leaks came up. And the situation is that a co- uh, about two dozen people were able to download the album early um, when the pre-release first came up. And, um, and Matador's solution was to get in contact with those people, tell them that uh, if the album didn't get leaked, then we would be sending a free vinyl to them. And that seemed like an adequate solution to me. I I personally did not care that much about a leak happening because that's just not really my thing to worry about you know if I had my way the album would be out as soon as I finished recording it but you know it's it's Matador's deal and they you know they paid for the album so I'm I was just trying to accommodate them basically um but what happened is that other people um you know the online discussions started happening where it was basically people wanting to like intimidate or uh, bully these other people into leaking the album. And I don't think it was a lot of people saying that, but I did see it, you know, I saw this general attitude that was just anger that the album had not leaked yet. And it's like, I can understand wanting it to leak, but I was surprised at the level of entitlement of these people who felt that because people because someone else had this album, they deserve to have this album right away. So that was what I was tweeting about in frustration later on. Um, but it, it was just kind of baffling because, you know, it, it's not like, I mean, any album before it gets released is going to be heard by someone before it gets to you. You know, that's just the way it works. You can't be there during the creative process. Um, you have to be on the tail end of it. and. You know, I personally have never cared that much about an album. I mean, even when I, it's an artist I'm excited about, I, when I hear about a new album, I'm like, great. 
and then I, I don't even keep track of when the actual release date is or anything because that's just not you know I when I, an album is exciting to me I assume that it's going to be a sort of long run thing where I'm going to be listening to it for months um, once I do get a hold of it so it doesn't really matter to me you know what day I get it or if I you know if I get it before everyone else does it's just um, you know I, I prefer to be surprised when it comes into my hands and I guess I was hoping that more people felt that way and I think you know I think still a majority are are not expecting a leak to come out or are not you know resorting to petty bullying in order to make it happen but uh, there were some people like that and it just depressed me to see that so aside from that how's it been like rolling things out and like working with the band it feels like there's so many new things because you had Mm -hmm. 10 albums Bandcamp only you had teens of style which was like selections of the band camp days re-recorded and now this is the rollout of the first album of new material so aside from the bullies what's it been like it's been good you know i'm i'm kind of used to always being active and always sort of being present on the radar for people who care enough to check it out you know i don't i don't really go into hibernation when i'm recording or preparing an album i like to keep people updated um so it's been good to to be active in that way you know to have teens of style out and to follow it right up with the next album you know we recorded them both in the first half of 2015 before anything was officially announced so it's nice to just be able to put stuff out one after the other and uh yeah that's sort of my usual working model so it wasn't too too different you know the only difference is the amount of exposure i've gotten on this stuff so far like uh i sometimes i'll just post like random covers and stuff to tumblr and recently i did that and pitchfork decided to pick it up and post on it and then it started a whole news cycle which i was uh not particularly happy about because it you know i did not intend it to be the next car seat headdress single i just intended it as a little you know bonus thing for people who are following tumblr so for the record, that that the the press that that particular song received had had nothing to do with our camp. It was just a complete uh, surprise to us when it happened. Yeah, that's something that a lot of musicians have to deal with. Just how you can pretty much post any kind of like quote content onto whatever it is, Tumblr, Twitter, whatever, and sites across the internet can farm it for their content mm-hmm. and if it's it's like it's sort of it's on the record they can just do whatever with it it's true yeah i mean i've seen it happen before i just i i was not a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Expecting to be at that level yet where, where a website would say people are going to care about this and people are going to click on this. I mean, the record is not even out yet. Um, I don't know if people have... I don't <laughs> have quite enough reason to care about some acoustic Radiohead cover I'm doing. Um, but once they latch on, they latch on, and uh, there's not much you can do about it. You know, I considered just deleting the song, but by that point it had already gone out of my hands, basically. Yeah. So a lot of this new coverage, I'm guessing, would have started with Matador signing Carsey Headrest. Uh, what was it like before then? What was what was the coverage situation? Uh, there was no coverage situation. <laughs> it was really, you know, before September of 2015. Um, well, there, there was one track write-up in Pitchfork, and that was it, you know, between... Well, there's that was definitely the highest profile thing I'd gotten at that point. And, you know, before that, there was maybe, like, one thing a year that I could point to and be like, well, maybe this is going to lead somewhere. You know, in 2011, maybe, um, one of my earlier albums got listed as an honorable mention in Forbes' top records of the year. And I was like, wow, well... Forbes. Forbes. Business. It it, it was surprising from a surprising source. And, uh, you know, it was like, maybe this will go somewhere. And then it didn't. But, you know, for the next, like, two years, that was one of my top sites to get hits from. Um, not that a huge amount of people were reading that article, but just that I didn't have a lot of hits other than that. And, uh, yeah, other than that, it was almost entirely word of mouth in online communities that uh, grew up my fan base. Yeah, and now even Bandcamp is, has become more of a place for editorial. Like, have you been on top of them, how they, they actually do their own interviews, mm-hmm. have a lot of their own original stuff now? Yeah, I'm actually doing one with them tomorrow, I think. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, it just sort of is a coincidental timing that their sort of rise into prominence is has some overlap with mine. Um, and... I, I guess it just makes sense, sense from a cultural standpoint. You know, the more more artists that get attention from this website, the more the website itself comes into attention, which is good. But hopefully, they don't. Uh, you know, they keep it focused on what made it strong in the first point in the first place, which is uh, you know making it a user friendly experience and not having there be any barriers to access, basically. But you know, it can still be whoever wants to put up an album on there can do it and that's you know that's been its strength for however many years five or six and i'm sure they'll stick with that yeah because it really is that accessibility that's the key to like everything that they offer like you just said Mm -hmm. anyone who wants to make music and give people a chance to hear it they can use that yeah um you know that's what appealed to it appealed about it to me um and also just the album format, which, you know, there were other sites like, I guess SoundCloud was just kind of coming into prominence at the time when I started, but, you know, everything else was kind of based on individual songs or focused on the song. 
but Bandcamp was the one place where you could go to really like create an album experience, but mm -hmm. you know, just do it on your own. And they, you know, they solved a lot of problems with that. And uh, so that's why I joined on with them. Yeah, I'm trying to think back. That sort of DIY put up your own song on the internet platform, I guess, started with MySpace? Mm -hmm. That must have been it. There are still some old MySpaces of mine floating around with old tracks on plural, it. Plural, MySpaces. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> I think it was plural because every time I started a new band in middle school and high school, we'd make a new page for it. Um, so there's, there's probably at least one from middle school and one from high school up on there. And people have found those pages, actually, and have posted pictures from it, which okay. uh, I guess is fair game. Um, but uh, <laughs> hopefully those pictures don't circulate too much because um, you know, I look different now. Yeah. Yeah, similarly, I remember when MySpace changed over to the new MySpace, mm -hmm. the launch maybe 2013, I think it was. Mm -hmm. My old MySpace was still there, but the site had been changed over so completely that I, I think just one default photo was all that remained. Like right. all the hundreds of like old photos that were there were just like evaporated finally. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, that scares me, um, you know, because the sites that we use now you know, we, we basically use as archives, but I don't know if the people running them are always going to consider them to be archival, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, Facebook in five years, uh, we might not be able to get any of the content that we put on Facebook now. And, uh, you know, so we have to be careful about that sort of thing. And I'm worried because I'm not careful. You know, once I upload it to the Internet, I basically assume it's safe but you know everything fades pretty quickly more quickly than you'd really hope so you know even though it seems like now that everything circulates on the internet um you know it seems like the whole you know you can get the whole history of a thing more quickly and more accurately than before the internet where you know you had to piece stuff together from newspaper articles or whatever but i just feel like um there aren't enough people or websites focused on preserving the archive that they have um, and that we are going to end up trying to put pieces together if we don't get more careful as sort of an online community about saving that stuff. Yeah, that's interesting because you hear a lot of anxiety about people's privacy being encroached on through all the archival stuff, but you're giving the counterpoint of like, it's actually can, can, can be valuable mm -hmm. to have all this stuff archived there and you don't want to lose it. Yeah, I mean, I never, uh, I never put much stock into the whole privacy argument. Um, you know, I just assume that whatever you're doing online is going to be accessible to someone, you know. Um, and that's, you know, that seems okay to me. Um, uh, you know, we live in a society and any society is going to, you know, have its own form of security cameras in the corners. Um, you know, e even stuff that you do in real life gets observed by someone probably more often than you're thinking. Um, and I, I always just, I guess, more or less act as if someone can see me somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, so online, it's no different for me, but I guess I can see 
white people who who are somewhat less uh, able to accept the idea of constant surveillance um, would not be fond of the NSA spying on us, but I say bring them on. Yeah, I mean, in all seriousness, I think it's something that's that's not very happy, to, you know, to accept. It's sort of a tough truth, but I think it is very worth accepting that, like, yeah, pretty much anything you put onto the internet, mm-hmm. into the cloud, is kind of out there for anyone. Yeah, and I mean, I think people also over-exaggerate the importance of that. I mean, just because someone can see it doesn't mean anyone's going to care about it, you know? Um, and it's, you know, one of my goals is when I put stuff out on the internet is to make people care about it. Right. So, uh, my, you know, that's my struggle rather than trying to keep things private. Um, although I am starting to see, you know, there, there is a good balance for exposure. That's for sure. And like you said, it's getting to the point where I need to be more careful about what I post, or maybe you didn't say that. I was just having this, you know, the conversation with putting the cover up and having it go public. Um, you know, you don't think, you don't want things to go everywhere. Um, and I guess that is the counter argument for the argument I've been making, but it's all about keeping a balance. Yeah, seriously. Very, um, very dire discussions. Some serious <laughs> shit. But anyway, here, let's, let's play some music off the new album. This is Fill in the Blank. Yeah, so one thing I noticed when I picked up the album, listened to it for the first time. So I had heard you guys play for the first time, I think it was maybe early last year, so early 2015, and you you played a song that had parts of Just Why I Need It by The Cars in it, and I asked you about it when, when, when we uh, first interviewed, mm. and you said that, like, oh, that might be on a future track. We're, like, working to get the, uh, the rights to it. Mm-hmm. So that track popped up on the album, so I guess you did get the rights to it. Yeah, well, we kind of reached a compromise. Um, I, the track was not originally intended to be titled uh, to have just what I needed in the title because um, I wanted it to be a complete surprise when it came on mm-hmm. in, you know, in the music. But um, we just kind of uh, kind of ran out of time to get everything cleared, and it would. We found out it would be. I found out that it would be easier to get it cleared as a medley, which just meant um, retitling it and splitting it fifty-fifty. I think uh, was a compromise. So you know, I said go for it because I did like the idea of having the other half being called not not just what I needed. Um, and I think it still is a surprise for a lot of people who don't look at the track list before they press play. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a couple like... Although it will not be a surprise to anyone who listens to this podcast. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, this will be up around the time of album release. Okay. So, so it won't really be ruining the surprise. Hopefully yeah, not for too many people. Because there's, there's lots of little Easter eggs, I guess you could call them, yeah. across the album. 
but we shouldn't talk about them all. Mm. <laughs> send, <laughs> one send in your uh, <laughs> the, all the eggs you find. Post on the comments. I mean, a, a more obvious one I think a lot of people will pick up on is like a little interpolation of uh, White Flag by mm-hmm. Taito. Yeah, that was it kind of started out as just a joke. Um, you know, Weird Al style parody of the lyrics of that song. And uh, I don't know, I just, I had the, the ballad melody written out and it just seemed appropriate to go into that after sort of as a bridge between the, the slow part and the building part. Um, and it, it had the ship imagery going for it. So it just kind of aligned. And that was, that was an easier one to get cleared because my lawyer is buds with the people at that label. Okay. That was one of the easier ones to clear. The one that we couldn't get cleared in time was we were going to interpolate uh, Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond into Unforgiving Girl as the chorus. And it it got to his desk and we basically heard back it's going to be a while and we were out of time <laughs> so what i actually did was we we went in and re-recorded it at the last minute and changed the song which i'm glad about also because i think the the performance was a lot stronger because we'd been on tour for the past couple months and had a lot we would we had gotten a lot tighter as a band yeah well neil diamond's lawyers have things to do i guess right. <laughs> yeah they i'm sure they see a lot of that stuff and so hopefully they won't then uh, go over the song with a fine, fine-tooth comb and sue us anyways. I don't think there's any remnant of Sweet Caroline in it at this point. Um, it's pretty much its own deal. So, uh, and but it's just funny because you know that was where the song started, and for so long that was kind of the only thing that remained central to the song. And then at the last minute, I took it out. Yeah. Yeah, so to put the uh, the Dido white flag lyrics into context for people listening, so it's a song, Costa Concordia, where you're talking about this Italian ship that sank very unceremoniously. I think 30 people lost their lives. Captain, now in jail. It's not a happy story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, I, you know, I first came about it or first sort of um, what struck me first was the uh, the photos that came along with it. You know, I just heard about it later on when they were tr- trying to figure out how to get the, the ship out because it was this huge cruise liner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it by that point it had just been there in the bay, half capsized for, you know, over a year. And it was just, it, it, that was sort of the incredible part about it to me is that, you know, even after the accident happened, you know, after... Um, long after it seemed like it should have been resolved, there was just this ship there, and what are you going to do about it? You know, but the whole thing just seemed like a complete, you know, unnecessary loss of life and a, a completely avoidable disaster. And uh, you know, it just it struck me as uh, I don't know an indicative. Uh, parable about the folly of man it's maybe it's our generation's version of the titanic much less glamorous but probably even more expensive yeah and what really caught me about the story was how i mean you you mentioned the titanic there the uh, the captain very famously goes down the ship 
viewed as a tragic hero mm-hmm. who, you know, went down with, you know, his baby, went down with the ship. This captain, in this instance, jumped ship, was... Mm-hmm. Part of the ch- the crimes he was charged with was violating ancient maritime law of right. not being the last one on the ship. Mm-hmm. So he just peaced. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that's that's a part of it too. And I don't, you know, I don't want to talk too much about his character because I don't know him personally, and I feel a little bad, you know, uh, m- turning him into a metaphor on this album. But. Um, you know, I, I end up casting myself in his role, I guess, as far as, um, you know, if you're involved in, di- in a disaster, you can either be the tragic hero or you can be a coward. And I think that's one of the things I was struggling with on this album is that my life felt like a disaster and I felt incapable of being anything other than a coward and fleeing rather than trying to, you know, trying to save it. Ooh. So some some somber notes. I mean, just trying to pick up on themes throughout the album, I think there's just a lot of trying to grapple with society's expectations, especially with, like, you know, going into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's accurate. Um, as they say on Mad Men, the basic struggle is uh, what you want to do versus what's expected of you. Hmm. Um and actually, there's a line from Mad Men in the album, but I'll, that's one I'll leave for you to, rag, to dig up. To dig up. It's actually pretty obvious where it is if you have seen the show. Anyways, um, yeah, I mean, it, not just what society expected of me, but what I expected of myself by that point. You know, I just didn't want to be in the mood I was in most of the time. You know, just this very angsty state, trying to uh, figure out the next step in my life. Um, and not just not making much progress on it. And it felt like, um, you know, it was a place I'd been before and hoped to not be back in again. So I was kind of frustrated with myself. And that led to, uh, I guess, a, a period of what felt like writer's block. Although once I was kind of past it, I could see what I had generated in that period and was able to make some sense out of it. But it that's one of the reasons why it took me longer to make this album than usual. It was about two years before I'd finished writing it. Yeah, on fill in the blank, in some other place in the album, you talk about, you know, dealing with depression and society's views on depression. Like, is that something that you've dealt with personally? Um, dealt with other people's perspective, of or dealt depression? with depression yourself? Well, <clears throat> well, part of what fill in the blank is about is not wanting to call it depression exactly i mean i'm so sick of fill in the blank the the idea behind it is you know feeling lousy and not wanting to you know diagnose yourself or you know put yourself in the therapist's couch to come up with a term for it because it seems um almost immature to do that you know when you i i think a lot of emotional states in life are much more out of our control or sort of almost biological than we really account for. You know, we uh, are, we're more psychologically inclined as a community than we used to be, which I think is good because, you know, it's important to recognize neuroses and everything. But I think we've swung too far in that we kind of see ourselves as having, or that we should have complete control over our lives and our mental states 
and that not having that be the case is a reflection of imperfect practice in mental health, basically. Mm. Um, you know, I think that there are times, I mean, I don't think we ever are in, in complete control of our emotions, and it's much more important to recognize what we can't control and recognize why we are where we are in our lives and just trying, you know, try to get through the bad times without hurting anybody and, uh, you know, and appreciate it when we're in a, in a better time. Um, but, you know, it was just a bad time for me when I was in my life, but when I was uh, writing this album, but I didn't want to call it depression because, you know, that enters into this whole clinical clinical world which i wasn't interested in sort of defining my life by yeah and there's another part on the album i think early on the album where you're talking about looking at online of descriptions or diagnosis of depression yeah and the uh clinical depression mm-hmm. line and vincent uh they've they got a portrait by van gogh on the wikipedia page for clinical depression <laughs> yeah i mean that cutting uh, your ear off right well that was the just symptoms. Uh, I mean, that was a literal truth. There was a portrait by Van Gogh on that page. And, you know, it, it's interesting that, you know, you, Wikipedia is the most objective source that a lot of people go to. Um, and it's, you know, it's interesting that ultimately even this objective source, you know, you it, it goes back to a way of describing it that is, you know, more... Um, human and subjective you know this this portrait by a depressed artist quote unquote um you know and and there's all these clinical descriptions in the article but you know it, it it goes down to something that is more basic than that and that is that you know we don't you know we can't really describe what you know what makes a depressed person depressed or how how exactly to define that or where the limits are and uh, it's much more of a gut reaction, and you know, I th- and that comes through in art, I think, a lot. And um, so it it seemed, you know, it struck me as something worthy of note that uh, the you know the the painting there was as telling as any of the description. Yeah, yeah. Because thinking about it, it's like thinking back back to like past generations like van gogh's time it's probably maybe before this generation like mental health was hardly even really thought of or really studied much and now like you were saying we do study it a lot and it's on everyone's minds but it's through these things like the internet and just like google searching something to Mm -hmm. like self-diagnose yeah i mean um we just we look at we're a lot more introspective uh, just as a culture in general than we used to be um, it just also culturally there have always been introspective people and not introspective people in this world um, and you know the internet is just uh, one way of searching that I think it's been on the rise in the past century um, there's a really excellent documentary called Century of the Self, which kind of talks about this development from being culturally minded and not introspective on an individual level to being almost completely um, focused on the individual level. And, um, you know, it, uh, I think the, the ideal way of 
maintaining a culture would be to balance have a balance somewhere between um, cultural identity and individual identity and right now we're just very individually focused and you know it's um, we're like the be yourself generation but um, I think the issue is that we're not we're no longer the first generation to be like that you know I think that since the 60s it's all been all about be yourself and uh, our generation you know we have to take note of the fact that our parents were the first generation to do that to to be individually focused and we're not any better off for that you know the baby boomer we blame the baby boomer boomers baby boomers the baby we we've been the baby boomers for a lot of things but um we're we're equally capable of leaving the world in a shitty spot i think um and i think the way out of that is to just well that's another easter egg <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what the way out of that is but we you know it's very individually focused but it's not morally focused in a way that i think is unhealthy for us we need to inject like 10% more fascism back into our culture 10% just 10% just 10 well baby boomers melted the polar ice caps basically so we can't do much worse that's that see that's the mentality i'm talking about we <laughs> we can always do worse than the next gener- than the previous generation and we have to be conscious of that you know i think the basic and this is, we, I go into this in the Ballad of the Costa Concordia in the second half. You know, there's this idea that the world that has been left to us is trash. And so that there's nothing we can do, basically, mm-hmm. to, uh, um, you know, to alleviate that. And it's, it leaves us in a state of complete moral um, abnegation. Um, you know, we don't, we don't have to do anything because we don't have anything to start with. But um, that's just uh, that's just not a good mentality to take. I think that there's always something we can do, even if it is just struggling to be a good person on a very basic level. Um, that we should be doing that and focused more on creating a better environment for ourselves than just uh, giving up entirely because of what we feel like has been left to us. You know, every generation I think feels like the world is ending right when it gets to them. Mm. Yeah, that would be some very sour vibes to kind of hang the album on if it was just like, yeah, we can't make this any worse. So just Mm -hmm. let's just be nihilists. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that that's the, the story of the ballad, the story of the coast of Concordia. Um, is you know the end point of that sort of nihilism and that's only resolved you know at the very end of the song where love comes back into it um and you you have that very brief moment of redemption where the protagonist is able to to remember that he cares for someone and that someone cares for him and that is sort of the way out of the mess but you know you have to remain conscious of that yeah Let's play one more song. This is Drunk Driver's Killer Whales. I have become such a negative person. It was all just an act. 
Are you thinking about already any further projects, new albums? Yeah, there's stuff in the works. Um, and it's, you know, it's mainly a question of schedule as to when new stuff will, will really start taking shape. You know, I, I don't really consider a song finished until it's fully recorded and mixed. Um, and there will be opportunities to record sometime this year. I would. I would like to go in and, and have something done by early next year, um, done on my side at least, and then the record label can do what they want with it. But um, I would like to stay active and sort of more or less keep to the schedule, which I had been on, which is about an album a year. Yeah, because the current album, Teens of Denial, was pretty much done when Teens of Style came out, so it seems like you like to stay one ahead. Yeah, I mean that's have one in the have one in the back pocket, have ready one in to the go. Back burner. Yeah, I mean that's it. It wasn't always that way. It, it really started with the record label situation, where you know the album cycle is a lot longer than it used to be with me self-releasing, um, and I do like to work that way. Um, you know, it, it takes the pressure off as far as, um, you know, I certainly don't have to worry about a sophomore slump at this point because <laughs> I... 13, I, well, 13 is coming up. <laughs> right, what's that? Lucky 13. Um, yeah, it might be the cursed record. But, um, yeah, it's 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 good to be working far enough in, in the future that there, you know, any, you know, public aspect to it is completely hypothetical you know i'm still secluded for the creation of it more or less and that that sort of protects me from you know the the direct pressure of um public interest which can be overwhelming and you know i think the hardest the two hardest points for me since getting signed and having everything go public have been the maybe a month before each album release which this is the month for me um because you've got a lot of people talking about it um not a lot of people who have really absorbed it for obvious reasons and it's just it's it's all analysis on a very surface level which frustrates me and makes me feel like i'm not accomplishing what i want to accomplish because you know i try and make records that um people can go to that deeper deeper level on mm -hmm. and sort of talk about um on that level and you know it's just the nature of the beast that at the present moment that's not what's going on and that makes sense but it's always just kind of a frustrating mode to be in and you know last time with teens of style things got i i, I liked seeing that discussion evolve once the album came out into something deeper and so i just have to kind of wait for that point to happen with teens of denial as well yeah, do you think like think about or maybe find inspiration in other artists with similar ethos who like to just share lots of music, create lots of albums, put them maybe on Bandcamp or a similar site? Someone like Frankie Cosmos comes to mind who does stuff like that. 
Um, her in particular, I don't take. Uh, I haven't been taking notes on her style, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll respect any artist who is more engaged with the process of creation and distribution than they are engaged with the you know the celebrity mode mm-hmm. of uh, you know being focused on what the press is after or trying to calculate moves or or being father john misty or that sort of thing (laughs) um you know it's uh, you know for any artist i think the ethos to take is that your art is supposed to outlive you and that's what you should be in it for really is to create uh, you know preserve some aspect of yourself that you want to live beyond yourself and uh and get it out there to as many people as possible. Um, and that's, you know, that's how I try and make my art. And hopefully it, it will outlast me. I try and design it that way. But um, it's it's weird to make it in that mode and then still be around when it comes out for discussion. You know, I, I, I would prefer uh, some posthumous discussion of my albums. Okay. But uh, I, that can't. That's kind of a catch twenty two for obvious reasons. <laughs> Be like four hundred essential car seat headrest tracks to yeah. start off with. <laughs> what I, I guess I should just fake my death uh, before every album, so then I don't have to do interviews and I still get a lot of press. Yeah, that is an interesting, <laughs> an interesting thing to pitch the next meeting with with Matador. Why pitch it? I'll just just do it. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, I guess you can. It's, it's difficult to pitch a fake death. I don't know, Shira. <laughs> what do you think? Shira's into it. We've got the okay from the label representative. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so I guess you've got some work to do. You've got to work on my obit. Yeah. We like to have those ready to go. Right. You know, we, we were talking about this in a, a billboard meeting this morning about how record labels with, like, Prince right now, following Prince's death recently, rest in peace, Prince, yeah. uh, his greatest hits albums, compilations, proper albums, basically dominating the top ten of billboards album charts for this week. Mm-hmm. And how it's becoming more of a priority, probably for record labels, to like have hits compilations like mm. ready to go for like when that happens. Interesting, especially because there's like as the decades pass, there's just more and more legacy artists who are older. Mm-hmm. Like so many great artists from like the fifties or the sixties. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. I mean, I, I have no idea how it works from that perspective, but they probably do have. Uh, uh, most record labels who work with those sorts of artists, I'm sure, do have extensive plans for what happens if the artist dies. Uh, for Matador, I'm sure they would just <laughs> hype the hell out of uh, Teens of Denial. <laughs> and my legacy would definitely be preserved, but I I don't want to die yet. So I have to. So instead, I have to deal with hype as it comes out. Mm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of Matador's past. I mean, like you said, with faking your own death. Well, when Bell and Sebastian were starting out, they were very secretive, I think, and barely did any interviews or didn't appear in person for interviews. It was something like that. I'm a little cloudy on it right now. Mm-hmm. 
But maybe they could have done a good death faking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I think it depends more on personality. But um, some artists are more secretive than others. But I feel like the, the less secretive you are, the more you would want to fake your own death. Because uh, then you have a, the, the biggest secret of all to give away. Or you know what else there is? There, like, for instance, there was that rumor that Andrew W.K. was actually Dave Grohl. <laughs> so you could construct, well, now you do. It's a valid conspiracy theory. So you can construct an alter ego and then become that alter ego and mm. disappear. Yeah, actually, I was, I've been thinking about this as just uh, the weirdness of the Paul is dead myth. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, these people just had, they, they were uninterested in the, in, in the unlikelihood of, someone coming in and being able to sing and write songs as well as the original Paul McCartney. And instead they were looking at stuff like whether the earlobes matched up on press photos. <laughs> and it's just like, it's very strange, but you know, it's disturbing once you're sort of more on the, the side of the artist to see people literally picking you apart like that. And, um, you know, maybe, Maybe that's the way to go is to start a rumor that I'm dead and have been replaced by someone else. Cause there are there are plenty of people who look enough like me, I think. So maybe actually I will pretend to die and replace myself with uh, a lookalike unannounced and let those rumors start. And then, uh, then I can also blame any future bad albums on them as well. Yeah, and I wrote a list once for Billboard.com of popular music conspiracy theory. So that's why I can rattle these off right mm, now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was Paul? I'm sure Paul is dead. Paul, is yeah, there. Paul yeah. was on there. There was actually this band called, I think it's called Klaatu. It was like K-L-A-A-T-U. And they were an early 70s rock band, kind of psychedelic. And part of the rumor was that Paul was in that band, uh, I think, because they too. sounded supposedly uh-huh. so much like like late period psychedelic mm-hmm. Beatles. Right, and then did they actually sound like it at all? A little bit. Okay. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I remember uh, hearing uh, recently, I, I heard this Beatles bootleg, quote unquote, that it didn't sound anything like them. You know, it was just the vaguest, you know, s- generic 60s flavor Um um, but it, it was debated for decades whether it was or wasn't, and it's just like, you know, the the interest is completely on these, you know, scrutinizing the details, and you just, people don't look at the whole picture and say, you know, this doesn't sound anything like the Beatles. You know, it's it's weird to see how other people look at things and how you can really lose sight of anything just by picking it apart and looking at the details that closely Mm. well well that brings me to the end of all that i had so is there anything else that you wanted to touch on um not that i can think of we we took it a lot of different places didn't we we? definitely did we got to dave grohl and andrew wk and paul's dead i was not expecting that (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
uh, I think we can leave it there. So yeah, that's it. Hope you enjoyed listening to me and Will chat about car seat headrests and life and millennials and the future and the internet and all those wondrous things. I had a good time with this podcast and I really do every week. So thank you really just so much for listening and all the feedback that you guys have been sending me and telling me about the podcast is really, really helpful. Uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, a star rating on iTunes is really, really beneficial with the podcast. Whatever you think, if you love it or hate it, or you think it's just really mediocre and you want to tell me that it's worth like three stars, fine. That's great. If you have any specific feedback, you can hit me up on Twitter at CPain on a Plane. That's at C P A Y N E O N A P L A N E. And let me know what you think about the podcast. Any topics or artists you'd love to have on the podcast any things you'd like to see differently or keep doing with the podcast just let me know so yeah if you want to subscribe or listen to old episodes um go to itunes search for the alt in our stars go to the podcast app on your phone search for the alt in our stars or if you're just viewing this whole thing on billboard.com right now scroll to the bottom of the story and click the itunes link in the last paragraph so Until next week, like I said, new podcast episode every Friday. Until then, have a good weekend, guys. Bye-bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.